Today is May 17, 2023. In this week's issue, anti-VEGF treats the retina. And the cornea? A new study suggests intravitreal injections improve ocular surface disease. Enhanced depth imaging OCT proves particularly useful for evaluating optic disc drusen to answer the age-old question, is it papilledema or pseudopapilledema? And are cataracts after chemotherapy for retinoblastoma foregone conclusion? A recent study investigates. Before this week's newsletter, we wanted to share two announcements from the Lens podcast team. One, congratulations to all of the fourth-year medical students who have graduated in the last couple of weeks. And second, our newest podcast episode on women in ophthalmology and gender equity is out now, featuring Dr. Grace Sun, former ophthalmology residency program director at Weill Cornell and current women in ophthalmology president. Our first article this week is from Ophthalmology. Can serial intravitreal injections treat dry eye? Intravitreal injections may have a new role in ocular surface therapeutics. Intravitreal injection has become the most common intraoperative procedure worldwide, particularly in the context of anti-VEGF therapy for neovascular age-related macular degeneration, or NAMD. However, it is believed to cause complications such as corneal epithelium toxicity and dry eye disease. A new study from Stavanger University Hospital in Norway investigated the effects of repeated intravitreal injections on the ocular surface and meibomian glands to determine the possible surface effects of this treatment. 90 patients with neovascular age-related macular degeneration treated with intravitreal injections for greater than four weeks were included in this single-center study. A range of ocular surface assessments were performed, ranging from tear meniscus height and bulbar redness to corneal staining. Upper and lower meibomian gland loss was also measured. Treatment with serial intravitreal injections was associated with reduced upper and lower meibomian gland loss, increased tear meniscus height, and lower bulbar redness scores. This study is the first to suggest that intravitreal injections may have therapeutic effects on the ocular surface, given increased tear volume and fewer signs of inflammation in the treatment group. Our next article is from the American Journal of Ophthalmology. What imaging modality can we trust to diagnose optic disc drusen? Optic disc drusen findings in one modality may become clearer in another. Optic disc drusen are small calcified deposits found in the prelaminar tissue, which is superficial to the lamina cribrosa of the optic nerve head. Optic disc drusen may cause optic disc elevation mimicking more sinister conditions such as elevated intracranial pressure, giant cell arteritis, or compressive optic neuropathy. Imaging modalities such as fundus photography, B-scan ultrasonography, fundus autofluorescence, and optical coherence tomography, or OCT, can be used to help differentiate optic distrusion from causes of optic disc edema. This study sought to showcase the diagnostic capability of a newer technology called Enhanced Depth Imaging OCT, compared to more traditional imaging modalities. The study compared 108 eyes with known optic distrusion and 97 without. All eyes received an ophthalmic exam, imaging by all four modalities and review by three mass neuro-ophthalmologists. EDI OCT 
or Enhanced Depth Imaging OCT, had the highest sensitivity and accuracy in detecting optic distrusion discs from non-optic distrusion discs, followed by fundus autofluorescence, ultrasonography, and fundus photography. All imaging modalities reported high specificity and precision. Enhanced Depth Imaging OCT also had the highest examiner confidence. This study confirmed that enhanced depth imaging OCT is particularly valuable for detection of deeply buried optic distrusion and for ruling out the optic distrusion when evaluating causes of apparent optic disc edema. Our final article for this week comes from the British Journal of Ophthalmology, Risk Factors for Cataract Development in Retinoblastoma Management. Are cataracts a blast from the past? Cataracts are a common side effect of radiotherapy for retinoblastoma treatment and have decreased significantly after a shift to chemotherapy as the preferred treatment modality. As survival rates are now improved for patients with retinoblastoma, treatment goals have placed more emphasis on preserving vision. A retrospective chart review in 184 retinoblastoma eyes of 151 patients from 2017 to 2021 was conducted to evaluate the association of various treatment modalities, intravenous chemotherapy, intraarterial chemotherapy, intravitreal chemotherapy, photocoagulation, and cryotherapy on cataract development. 16.8% of eyes developed cataracts after an average of 27.6 months after treatment. The following factors were associated with increased incidence of the cataract development, high intraocular pressure, endophytic tumor growth pattern, higher melphalan dose per intraarterial chemotherapy cycle, and higher number of intraarterial chemotherapy and intravitreal chemotherapy cycles. Researchers concluded that toxic melphalan exposure was a core feature in cataract development in patients receiving intraarterial chemotherapy and intravitreal chemotherapy for retinoblastoma. This study is limited by generalizability as this is a retrospective study conducted at a single center in China. And to learn more about the lens, you can follow us on Twitter at at the lens underscore OPH and make sure to visit www.lensophthalmology.com to get a full summary of today's research newsletter.